I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show how did you feel when you read gilderoy lockhart's name on the page did you feel any connection to him i i really don't want to take any responsibility for gilderoy (laughs) fair enough the family doesn't talk about him. <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. Hello, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Emily Lockhart in the studio with us, in the damn library with us today. Um, e. Lockhart, or Emily Lockhart, is the author of several books, including Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks, the Ruby Oliver Quartet, and the New York Times bestseller, We Were Liars, as well as some others. But you are also the recent author of Genuine Fraud. That's right. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's nice to be in your library. Uh, We are excited to have you. Um, And I'm excited about this drink that I made for everybody, inspired by Genuine Fraud. Um, I'm calling it the also known as, and it is a um, it's tequila based since we start in Baja, Mexico in the in the book. And uh, then it, we go to Dolan Blanc Vermouth, some pomegranate cherry juice, and the juice of half a lime shaken in a shaker. And I, uh, it's a tart, nice sort of blood colored uh-huh. cocktail. Which... Well, it's like a, it's kind of like a Mexican Cape Cod also. Oh. Which, you know, there's a little Cape Cod. There the is book, a little so, Cape Cod. Yeah, or Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm excited about drinking it because I have had already two of them. So. It's one of those that grows on you too as it goes. Mm. It sort of develops a little bit like the lime comes out. It's I'm just really always good. impressed when you pull that off because I'm like, how did he do that? He didn't know that was going to happen. Did you? Well, I mean, vermouth is a really interesting thing that to play with tequila. Usually you're pairing vermouth with vodka or whiskey um, and gin as well. Uh, I, you don't hear it with tequila as much, but I don't know. I, I, I wanted the, the Dolan Blanc has elderflower and fruit sort of in the base of it. And I sort of wanted, I thought that'd be fun to play with rather than trying to work with St. Germain or something as well. Nice. Um, so that's the drink. Thank you for making a drink. I oh. thought you were going to make something with Kahlua. Oh yeah, because there's a lot of Kahlua. There is a lot of fraud. There is a lot but, of Kahlua. But there's a resistance. Like there was a Penguin Random House had a party at Book Expo where they made a gin-based cocktail 
like it was called the genuine gin or something mm-hmm. but it was for genuine fraud and i was like why no kalua and they were like nobody wants to drink kalua. <laughs> and i was like i want to drink kalua. <laughs> i hope they would call it the genuine fraud if they're making a gin Ooh. drink um but i i uh i have a after 5 p.m i try not to have any coffee uh, and so Kahlua, it, it, will it would just you make up. you crazy. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't it's know also that like about drinking you. a candy bar. No, in a nice way, though. I, yeah, I like. I, I was like gonna it. say this time of year, especially like it's starting to get cold outside. Nice little Kahlua, maybe yeah. on the rocks. Uh, let's uh, talk about what we bought. Why don't you talk about what you bought, Drew? Sure. Um, the The year is coming to a conclusion. And so I am... Uh, longtime listeners of the show will know that every year I pick an author who I, for whatever reason, missed in my English degree education. Um, this past year was Toni Morrison, which like, wow, was I really late to that game. Uh, next year, I've decided it's going to be Philip K. Dick. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so I picked up the first of the PKD that I'm going to read, and it's a Skinner Darkly. Oh, cool. Which I'm very excited about. But while I was at Book Book over in the West Village, they had a sale on paperbacks. And so I also just like really impulse bought uh, The Village Witch Doctor and Other Stories by Amos Tutuola. Okay. Cool uh, name. Why yeah. did you buy that? I, don't, I haven't heard of it. A friend of mine recommended uh, his first and best known novel the palm wine drunkard mm. uh, he's also the gentleman who wrote uh, my life in the bush of ghosts which later became the david byrne brian eno record uh but That's he's an amazing title yeah he's a nigerian author uh who wrote in english and mm. achieved like a, a brief moment of like international literary fame with those that double header of the first two but then continued to write almost up until his death in the early 90s. And I saw this short story collection and short story collections are often a great way to get to know an author. Uh, and so I was thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give this guy a shot. Palm wine is uh, inspiring because there's an entire type of like tropicalia music that's just palm wine tropicalia. What does that even mean? I know. What are all of the words you just said? I know. <laughs> well, maybe tropicalia there will be. music? Uh-huh. We'll play some under the... I'll play some right now. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. So the listeners will know. <laughs> that sounds great, Drew. Yeah, I'm excited about both of those things. Um, Emily? I went to Powerhouse on 8th, which is my local indie, and they mm. are gorgeous. And I bought... Um, the new Roz Chast, which oh. is um, called Going Into Town, which is much less uh, emotional and kind of Harrowing. personal than <laughs> than um, her National Book Award finalist uh, graphic which memoir, which was called um, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's just, she's a longtime New Yorker illustrator, yeah. comic artist. Yeah, she's brilliant. But Going Into Town is basically just like, it's a love letter to New York. Oh, you know, cool. Going into town is what you do when you live in the far reaches of Brooklyn or when you live in New Jersey and you come into town. And, and it's like kind of instructions um, on New York. But it really um, made my whole family laugh out loud. It, we loved it. And um, 
we paired it with uh, an oldie, which is Christoph Niemann's book about um, New York that's all done in Lego. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. I forget what it's called. It's like called Lego New York or something. It's not hard Damn, to find. I got to get that for my dad for Christmas. It, oh, cool. It is so... I have it in board book form, but I think Ooh. it was published in a larger format as well. It's very delightful. And he basically like creates all of these New York landmarks, like down to like, you know, the 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 coffee cups you get in the Greek delicatessens and the, you know, um, subway markers and things like that out of Lego. It's really, it's really great. That's cool. really awesome. Um, I also bought, I bought a huge pile of board books for the holidays from Books of Wonder, which is uh, oh wonderful children's oh bookstore the best yeah. and uh i have a there's a nine month old person that i will be hanging out with in the holiday season so i bought a huge stack of board books including um some little sandra boynton and mm-hmm. um <laughs> some leslie patricelli i don't know if i'm saying her name right and you know classic board books that yeah. you should not grow up without yes and i bought Nimona by Noelle Stevenson, which I have already Ooh. read, but I bought it on um, my e-reader because I wanted to carry it around. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good, and and to talk to it more often. Um, I love. Have you, you guys have yeah, read, I've read that? It. I haven't yet. I'm. I, I loved it. Meaning to pick it up and not doing it. Superbly delightful. It's so it's good. So funny and charming, but also the ending like hit me like a ton of bricks. It was totally so smart and great and it just made everything come together in the best way i'm a huge admirer of hers uh we're not in recommendation time yet but if you like namona you should definitely check out the unbeatable squirrel girl um from marvel it's comics really it's fantastic and they're definitely of a piece with each other um uh, some similar spirit in those those comics yeah um all right your turn what'd you buy oh yeah i bought books too um my parents uh very rarely decide on a book that they both love and this uh past weekend they were both um raving and raving and raving about a gentleman in moscow by amor taulas or tolas oh i've heard that's really good yeah and um you know they were both like talking over each other about how great it is so <laughs> so i got that on audiobook because i love audiobooks and um and I also saw, uh, thanks to Drew, who got, who hooked me up with some tickets, uh, I saw the Tiny Beautiful Things uh, play over at the public. And I had never encountered, actually, Dear Sugar before. That was my oh. first encounter with any of her um, column, was in a play form. <laughs> and so I now have the, uh, the collection of some of the letters. Cool. I've been just checking that out. It's a fantastic book to just flip through and read a couple. Love those books. Anyway, so that's what I bought. Nice. Yeah. Do you oh. like the show? Oh, it was great. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your fantastic novel, Genuine oh my God, Fraud. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, thank uh, you. Do you want to tell the listeners what it's about? Um, Genuine Fraud is an anti-hero story. Mm-hmm. about um, two young women who look enough alike to share a passport. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, uh, it's told in reverse. I feel like I want to talk about yes, that right away. It's totally backwards. It starts with chapter 18, and you meet the main character, who is named Jewel West Williams, in a Mexican resort hotel. And it's this you know super deluxe 
hotel and um, she's 18 years old and she's been living there for four weeks alone. So you don't know why. And very quickly she goes on the run. Mm-hmm. She gets in a fight in an alley in San Jose del Capo and um, escapes and um, changes how she looks, puts on a wig, changes her clothes, changes her makeup, uh, takes one cab, takes another cab, takes another cab, and ends up at a seedy um, hotel where she's paying cash and arranging to buy a car the next morning to get herself out of town. And then you go back a chapter. Mm -hmm. So you go back in time to find out um, a little bit more about why she's there. She's in Vegas. And then you go further back and she's in London. And you keep going back and following her kind of around the world um, and learning about this friendship between her and this young woman that she looks very much like, um, who's a runaway heiress named Imogen Sokolov. Is that how the book came to you? Did it come to you in reverse? Or uh, talk about the sort of writing of that. I had been looking for a backwards story for a while. Ooh, cool. Um, because I really like, um, I really like unusual, playful narrative devices and structures. Um, I like them when I read them, but I also really like them as a writer to kind of give myself a homework assignment. I think it's kind of like maybe a poet feels who decides to write sonnets, let's say, or some other rigorous poetical form. Mm -hmm. Um, So to set yourself the task of writing a novel that is going to adhere to some kind of structure that you've predetermined is to, you know, confine your creativity in a way that actually stimulates it. Mm -hmm. So um, my previous book, We Were Liars, is set in two different time periods Mm -hmm. and it, um, has these fairy tale interstitials um, that kind of interrupt the narrative, but actually move it forward in particular ways. Um, I've written books with footnotes. I've written books with list structures. I've, you know, whatever. I'm always messing around. A lot of dialogue only sections. I like to mm-hmm. have a little dialogue break, kind of like a dance break, but dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just find that like, homework assignment that I give to myself very stimulating Mm -hmm. so I've been looking for a backwards story but you know there's not a lot of stories that actually benefit from being told backwards you can tell them backwards Mm. but why right um so I finally came so I'd been kicking it around for a while and thinking like could I tell this kind of story backwards could I tell that kind of story backwards what would be productive and for example I read um some out of order narratives. I didn't read every backwards thing that's out there because it was too intimidating. Like I started reading Time's Arrow and then I just was like, I have to put my head in the sand and I can't <laughs> write anything. This is not helpful. Um, but I did read some some like love stories that were told out of order or backwards or in particular ways. And I played around with the idea of telling a love story. And um, Were there any in particular? I'm sorry to... Um, I'm going to forget the names of the authors, which is terrible. I would hate it if people read my books and forgot my name. But I read um, a play called Constellations, which mm. was on Broadway with Jake Gyllenhaal, and which is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's like a an alternate universe Schrodinger's cat type of story where there's a love story between two people, but you see it in like several different iterations. Mm-hmm. Um, and nonetheless, it's very, very moving um, and also very funny. And I read um, One Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, David Nichols. David Nichols, thank I you. I think that plays by Nick Payne? 
Mm, yes, cool. it is by Nick Payne. Nice Good work. one. Bra- old brain's working today. All right, mine is not. Um, it's because you gave me a cocktail and I have <laughs> a half of it. So, um, the out of order narratives. The out of order narratives. So I was thinking about a love story, you know, because it can be very poignant to go back to the moment when everything was beautiful if the thing has been destroyed, mm-hmm. right? But if it's all happily ever after, it's not that interesting to go to the back end of it, right? It's only interesting if there's a tragedy mm-hmm. that you are then understanding in a different way by going back in time. So that made me realize that there really needed to be high drama and that I probably didn't want to write a romantic story. And I'm not really a romantic at heart anyway. <laughs> and so um, I settled on the idea of writing an anti-hero narrative and the idea of kind of peeling back the layers of an anti-hero character and because i mainly write about very young women i also thought that this would be interesting to see an anti-hero character who did not look you know like like jason Bourne or james bond um or or scarface or um what's his name in breaking bad but instead looked totally harmless I loved that nearly all of the chapters start with like, well, 11 weeks before she was doing, four weeks before this happened. Right. And I'm wondering how you juggled those those sort of two, like a, a narrative that's very concerned with time and a character who is almost completely unconcerned with it. Well, she's concerned with departing from her family of origin and from the origin story that she feels has been... Um, handed to her, mm-hmm. you know, and she wants to write her own narrative. Right. So I don't think it's that she's completely unconcerned with her past. She's just chosen to rewrite it the way that makes sense to her and the way that empowers her. And, you know, I was reading years and years ago, I had this kind of little light bulb moment in reading Freud. Mm-hmm. In graduate school, I went to Columbia and um, studied all this English literature, but we were actually all the time reading literary theory, which was really, (laughs) I was so bad at it. I was terrible, (laughs) terrible, terrible at like Derrida and things like that. And, um, but one thing that we read in the process of not reading English literature, but reading basically critical lenses through which we might read English literature was um, this amazing Freud case study called... Um, the Wolfman, the Ratman, and the Psychotic Dr. Schraber, mm. <laughs> which is by Freud. And he also wrote a famous case study called Dora. And um, the thing that I took away from most powerfully from all four of those case studies, um, which are sometimes compiled all together and sometimes published separately, um, is this idea. Freud is getting his patients who are suffering from all kinds of tics and... Um, problems that are hard to kind of solve and he's a big believer right that talk therapy is the way forward and um, what he's getting them to do is to tell a coherent narrative about their experience that uncovers you know unspeakable things and then makes sense to explain their ailments like they can't move their right arms or their um, you know uh, or they are lying in bed all day or whatever is going wrong with them. At some point in one of these two books, 
this is so helpful. You can go read it. <laughs> just read the entire thing. Um, he says, it does not matter if this is the actual factual truth. Hmm. What matters is that the patient is putting together a coherent narrative that makes sense to the patient. Hmm. So that the patient is telling a story that explains the ailment and thus empowers the patient to release some of the pain and all of that, right? So exactly whether daddy came home from the war at such and such a time or so-and-so was actually having an affair with a nanny or whatever, this is not so important, the actual truth. The tr- the thing that heals the patient is the telling of the coherent story. Wow. And so that influence is definitely in genuine fraud. The idea that you you tell the story about yourself and maybe it doesn't heal you, but it does empower you mm. to take a narrative about yourself and choose to tell it. And it maybe is not true. Right. Or what is true? If it feels true to you, maybe it is true. Right. And if you tell it enough. Yeah. Right. And if you tell it enough, you believe it. And that can set you free. But it can also be a very dangerous thing. So I was, I didn't want to give a, you know, a black and white picture of that. I wanted to give, or a, or a um, positive and negative to use better language. Um, I instead wanted to, you know, give a messy picture. I was sold on on the narrative that Jewel constructed for herself. I think maybe because it was referenced often enough. By, and by the time reality you're, started you're to seep sucker. in, I was like, oh. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of... Um, you I'm, are a sucker. I know. I'm looking because I need to... I want to make sure... Uh, you just want to believe the story. Well, I was thinking of Manuel Gonzalez's The Regional Office is Under Attack. Ooh, I haven't read that. Which has... Um, the the narrative that Jewel presents is that her parents are are killed mysteriously, and, she, and then like she lives on her own for two weeks, and like some mysterious lady shows up and she's right, like a woman a in black, and it's a whole thing, and it yeah. made me think of in this book it's like this this team of high powered female assassins who are recruited in exactly that way, and so in my mind I was like. Because I, I always do this. I start drawing tangential connections to other books to tr- create like a single universe. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe that exists in this world. Maybe she's some kind of right. badass assassin. We're going to find out. <laughs> right. Yes. Because I'm not letting you know exactly what genre you're in. That's right. true. Right. I mean, and and I feel like I'm I'm ready to be off guard in your novels because of We Were Liars. And also... Um, Frankie Landau Banks too. Um, oh, thank you. Those are those are novels where you're like you think it's going to be one way, but they are not that way at all. Um, and you I felt sh- that way about Frankie. That's well, interesting. Yeah, a little bit. But, but mo- maybe more you read that after reading the other ones. Ma- no, well. So maybe you had different expectations set. Well, I just didn't think. I, I kept um, being surprised at how people responded to Frankie. Like it's like she didn't see herself the way that other people saw her. Um, Right, which is true in genuine fraud too. Yes, that's yeah. They're very um, related books, I think. One is a comedy and one is a drama, but to me, thematically, they're very related. Right. Well, they both want to be pulling one over on somebody, 
um there's a little bit the of heroines that, like, do yeah they do yeah um but we were liars it's so interesting that that you say that it's about like hiding the narrative from yourself for um or or telling a narrative whether or not it matters if it's true you you heal or you you find power there and we were liars as she's trying she doesn't have that story available to her she keeps right. trying to find it um right there was somebody i really we were liars has an amnesiac character right. if you haven't read it and um there's somebody that i know in real life who had um amnesia uh based on a brain trauma and um it was um selective amnesia right so you don't forget your house the name of your dog your people but you cannot remember a certain window of time and this person wanted so badly to tell the story of what had happened in the missing time mm. and would be told over and over the story mm -hmm. and would repeat it back. And it, even in the repeating back, it would get wrong. Mm. Wow. Like, and then if you left the room for 10 minutes and came back, the story was gone again. Wow. It would not stay. And that to me was so fascinating because not only would it not stay, which is you know, crazy what our brains can do. But she wanted to tell this story more than anything. Right. Right? The The need to tell a coherent story about this missing time was huge. It was the main topic of conversation. Um, wow. And um, no matter, you know, so that, that need that we have to be able to tell a story about ourselves, right, is very human, mm -hmm. right? It's so fascinating to me. Definitely. I mean, gosh, it sounds like some Oliver Sacks men who mistook his wife for a I hat. love yeah. Oliver Sacks for uh, that kind yeah. of story. Like his his narratives of like brains that have a very specific thing that they're doing because they've had a damage of some type, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then the brain is is completely unique, and of course, all our brains are completely unique. But Oliver Sacks allows you to see it right. in a in a in a kind of um, blown up um, technicolor way. I remember when you were talking about um, We Were Liars, you said you were writing it with the secret history on your desk. Yes, I um, did. And this one, you um, thank uh, talented Mr. Ripley, or you mentioned oh, yes, it in acknowledgments. So. Um, and there's even a scene that is so much of an echo uh, from that book mm -hmm. um and i'm just curious you know what in jewel is connected to to ripley to tom well i did definitely start with the idea of telling a story that had that um high smithian architecture um specifically the ripley story which i love and have read lots of times um and i very quickly as i started writing departed uh, from that idea and brought in you know a lot of I don't know, Incredible Hulk and Deadpool and, <laughs> and Charles Dickens and Vanity Fair by William Thackeray and, you know, all kinds of, it became really a, I think all my books are pretty referential, mm -hmm. um, but mainly they're referential in my own head. Like, you know, I'm looking at them and I'm seeing like echo upon echo of a gazillion influences. I was going to um, ask you what that's like, sort of conversing <laughs> with these, these canonical pieces. Right. Yeah, it's just how my brain works, you know, and I, I feel lucky that that I can get it to work that way on the days that it works that way. <laughs> um, but I'm just, I, I mean, 
it, my brain doesn't work any other way. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So I don't really know what it's like. But <laughs> um, but I started with the Highsmith. And, you know, I just think the antihero narrative is, you know, takes a lot of different forms. But it usually takes, you know, um, white guy form. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, for all kinds of reasons, um, many layered reasons to do with race and gender and history and a gazillion things that we probably don't have time to unpack but i just thought could i tell this type of story about a really intense friendship and about a person who is capable of very bad deeds um about an 18 year old girl Mm -hmm. and what would it look like and and could i flip it not only in terms of gender but could i flip it backwards and what shape would that take if we were going towards innocence, really, instead mm-hmm. of towards something else? And um, I admire Highsmith so much for her ability to do exactly what I was talking about, which is the rendering of the inside of a very unique brain, mm-hmm. right? And and you know we're going to talk about uh, turtles all the way down later, and and. That's why I like that book too, right? I I I like those types of books. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I fell in love with writing. At, well, not really with writing, with reading, maybe more. Um, when I was in high school, as I had been interested in basically boys, and then also boys, and then boys, <laughs> and maybe a little musical theater mixed in. And then I read, kind of all in a rush, I read. Douglas Adams, mm-hmm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I read um, A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess, and I read The Color Purple by Alice Walker, and I was also, at that time, reading P.G. Woodhouse mm. and um, Tom Robbins. Jeeves and Wooster of yes. P.G. Woodhouse? Or? Yes, definitely. I like the first person, Bertie Wooster, the best. Okay. I've read almost everything, but... I do like, yeah, the first person Woodhouse is the best Woodhouse. Mm. And um, and the reason is because all of those people, even though they are pretty disparate in terms of genre and, um, you know, where they stand in the literary canon and all that kind of stuff, they're all being like really aggressively voicey. And what that means by extension is that they're showing you the inside of someone's brain and kind of even the rhythms of how that brain operates Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to me that is was just so exciting i mean adams is in third person but it's still i was just like oh look at his brain go that is so exciting it's fantastic he's a loon and um same with tom robbins right he's just like yeah he's like what i mean reading him now um i reread uh jitterbug perfume and also um still life with woodpecker Mm. jitterbug perfume held up better for me than than woodpecker did but um He's like, I am the cleverest of clever. Like, let me just show you in my sentence by sentence, like, choice of adjective. Like, every sentence is like, like, sparky and it's got little fireworks going off in it. And um, I was just like, oh, my 
God, look at him go. And so to me, that was exciting, not just because it was show offy, but because I was getting to see someone's brain ticking over. Mm. And the Alice Walker was like that too, right? Very different. It's very emotional. It's very dramatic, right? But it was so stylized. Yeah. And I was like, wow, holy cow. Like, again, look at her go. Like, she's rendering the inside of this person's head in language that I hadn't seen before and it was so amazing. Mm. I wanted to know when I finished this in that same sort of uh, Tom Ripley way, it, you know, are we going to meet Jules, Julia, whatever her name might be, <laughs> um, again? <laughs> You mean, is there a sequel? Yeah. Do you have, do you want to, you know, the no, Ripley has a Ripley ad, you know. That's there... true. I don't, I haven't loved the later Ripley books as much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, no, it's, I, no, it's a standalone. Okay. It's go, it goes backwards. I can't go backwards again. It will kill me. <laughs> but there's going to be a, a, there's probably going to be a film, which will be nice. Oh, that'll, oh, cool. Oh yeah. So. We, I, I saw that announcement. Do you want to talk about it? Um, well, it was bought for film by Lena Dunham and her company, um, A Casual Romance, and then by Lionsgate Pictures. So wow. yeah. I feel like they're, you know, they, they are, the people at Casual Romance, Lena Dunham, Erica Nagel, and Jenny Connor, are extremely lively um, artists, I would say. Like, they are interested in making stuff. They're mm -hmm. feminists. They are not going to be everybody's cup of tea. If everybody likes you, I think you're a liar. Ooh. Yeah. And so <laughs> I feel like, you know, they're the perfect people to make this movie. And and they were so incredibly smart in talking to me about it um, that I just was totally won over. Um, didn't feel like working with a corporation, which has been some of my Hollywood experience in the past. And instead, it felt like working with people who were just really interested in making work, you know, artistic work that um, expressed something. Right. Cool. So, yeah, really cool. Yeah. That'll also, I just, I can't wait to see in the way that this book gets very referential about action movies and comic books and that they're, those things are peppered across the screen or yeah. across the page. I can't yeah, wait to yeah. see them peppered across the screen too of like in the middle of this pretty intense memento style backwards thing a scene of like everybody sitting around the pool being like well the incredible hulk like which incredible hulk <laughs> that's gonna be fun yeah Thank that you. would be really cool you know we should talk about the candy that you brought because you did bring us candy i did because um, i wanted you to have cocktail snacks well and yeah well we appreciate it. There's gummy worms in there. Pectin drops. Pectin drops. <laughs> Those are like what I would call a Swedish raspberry candy. Uh, but I don't know if they're actually Swedish. Circus peanuts, <laughs> which I don't even... Circus I, peanuts are vile. Um, but they're in there. They're in, and also like some old Halloween candy. There's, I'm eating a... It's like a mallow cream pumpkin. I think, that's I think what it's like a, it's the inside of it is like a candy corn, but it's not a candy corn. It's a pumpkin shaped. Right. It's item. like three candy corns in one. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, this is doing the work of um, sponging up some of the alcohol. Indeed. Right? That's why this is a very sober podcast. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're sober because of candy. <laughs> um, well, okay. 
Uh, let's now that we're sober, we can talk about John Green's uh, Turtles All the Way Down, um, his new novel. Why did you uh, bring this novel to us? Um, well, for a couple reasons. One is um, I think I am one of the only young adult novelists you've had on your podcast. You I think are. You might be the first well, dedicated yes, young adult novelist. Dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that de- delineation. I am dedicated. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to discuss a young adult novel. And I think that, you know, there's not enough chances to really like unpack a young adult novel in a serious yeah. recorded context. And so I wanted to take this opportunity. Um, but also, Green is an old friend of mine. We don't uh, see each other very often or talk to each other even that often mm. but he used to live in new york city and so we would see each other um every week at that point we would write together once or twice a week wow up together with some other writers what um what period was that in that would be paper towns for him disreputable history of frankie lando banks for me huh. and so and then off he went to indiana and now you know uh the way that happens with with old friends we we don't keep up very well mm. um so, but i love his writing and um there's been often overlaps in his thematic material and my thematic material disreputable history of frankie banks has people running around in steam tunnels and doing all this kind of urban exploration paper towns also has all this stuff about urban exploration and um there's other kinds of places where we we overlap um, in terms of our our styles or our concerns. Footnotes both have footnotes, mm. stuff like that. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about paper. T- uh, sorry about uh, turtles all the way down. Um, in light of genuine fraud, since we would have just discussed that, and um, I figured there'd be some overlap. I I suggested it before I'd read it. Um, and I mean, uh, do you feel like you read this differently as a friend of his? than you do than uh, something Not else. a whole lot. I mean, who's not in my life every day? You right. know what I mean? So um, I think when you read a book by somebody that you see all the time, then yes, you must read it differently. But if you don't see the person all the time, I think you just really read it as a as a, as a a reader. I, I mean, maybe I read it as a writer. I mm-hmm. mean, I looked at it as somebody who writes YA fiction, realistic YA fiction, and here is a great example of that. And I mm. looked at, you know, some of the techniques he's using or the craft elements in a way that I might not if I was just reading in a field, co- you know, totally unrelated to my own. Mm. When it comes to the idea of technique, I feel like this novel is his most accomplished. The first one that I read was The Fault in Our Stars. And then I read uh, The Backlist. And this one, it just feels like a leap beyond the rest of them because of the way that he was able to, I don't know, it this this book fucked me up <laughs> in a way that I didn't anticipate. Do you want to tell us what it's about? Yeah. Because I didn't give a plot summary. Yeah, yeah it's um, a young woman who suffers from OCD and anxiety. Uh, she's in high school. She is managing, and then uh, an incident occurs that causes her to want to try to get beyond um, just managing. She wants to try and she wants to uh, get better, quote unquote. And the incident is that she comes back into contact with um, 
a childhood crush of hers, a, a young gentleman who she knew, who happens to be the son of a rich billionaire who has disappeared. Right. And so her best friend is like, you knew him. Let's solve the mystery and get the reward. Um, but she, she, Aza, falls in love with this kid. And all of a sudden is like, there is a world beyond this. I want, I want to get, get beyond this a world beyond the the mental yeah universe that she's been living in right john green i one of the i think the real pleasures of reading him is he's learned something recently and now he wants you to know that thing too whatever it is and in this case there's the um there's the lizard uh, the Tuatara. Yeah, which I didn't even look up to see if it's real. I just looked it up. Yeah. You, it is real. It I, is. Th- I thought it was a fantasy lizard. <laughs> fantasy lizard. Like a symbolic fantasy lizard, yeah. That's definitely my new band name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's sort of interesting to to think that there's like this whole mental landscape that the novel is taking place in, but there's so much uh, plot and, and character work that he's doing outside of, of Aza's spiral. And yet the spiral is this thing that I don't know, you would think would be just um, would be alien because it's an OCD depiction but at the same time, I feel like anybody who reads this uh, could see them their own spirals in this. I feel yeah, like it's, it's, very it's universal. Relatable. I had an idea while you were talking. Oh, great. So the lizard uh-huh. that I can't really pronounce, the Turatara, the idea of this lizard is that it's um, the la- one of the last remaining uh of a species that dates back a gazillion years. Yeah, right? like 200 million years. Yeah. So it's essentially like, like a dinosaur relic to, yeah. s- to be very simplistic about it. Right. So it goes back in history. And then there's all this stuff about astronomy, which is like mm-hmm. going out into the universe. Mm-hmm. So there's back in history and there's out into the universe. And then there's Aza and her thought spirals, which are very, very internal. And there's a point in the book. And I, I put a little green sticky note on this quote. Um, and I could I could try to dig it up um, where he says or she says, because it's first person. Aha. Right. Um, There's a kind of relief in having your own smallness laid bare before you. And I realize something Davis must have already known. Spirals grow infinitely small the further you follow them inward. But they also grow infinitely large the further you follow them out. Mm. Yeah. So he has these two things in the book, the whole part about, you know, astronomy and the whole part about the ancient lizard um, that go out away from the self in history and in space. Mm. I uh, I loved all that star stuff. I, I, I downloaded, re-downloaded. I remember when um, iPhones and iPads were first coming out, like that Starwalk app was on everything. Um, and I'd com- I deleted it for phone space years and years <laughs> ago. But I re-downloaded it after I read this book because it's nice to know when the new moon is and when Jupiter is particularly bright or in whatever. the seventh house. And that's well, there's no astrology in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> much to the much to my dismay, there's, there's <laughs> nothing to tell me my mood as well.
the brilliance of of John Green is that he is so connected to his fan base and and he has this um you know he talks about his his struggles personally you know weekly with his brother and so if you follow the vlog brother world this is like this is like that what what you're saying like you you would see him every week you know and you would you would feel connected to him and in the way of like oh my friend wrote a book even if you're not actually friends with him like you're still seeing his face as much as you would see one of your friends. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know. And I, I, I love that he's been so open about that, um, that he was sort of writing this because he was like all the detectives that I've read in fiction or seen, you know, Monk or Sherlock Holmes or something, their OCD has helped them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write something that didn't, that the, they wanted to solve a mystery and their um, mental illness actively hurts their ability to solve that. Um, and I think that that was so right. So new. it's the, it's the atypical brain, not a superpower, right? Um, which is how it it gets represented in all the time, all yeah. kinds of you know. It's very tempting, I think, in fiction, right? Absolutely, to, yeah. To turn an atypical brain into a superpower, it's 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 fascinating and it's empowering, mm-hmm. but um, but it's not very complex. I had a question for you, as um, because I I I read this you know, looking at Aza and Daisy's relationship. Um, and they are, they, it seemed very real to me and very true, but it's also, I'm, I'm another white male considering that. So I, I was curious if what you thought of that relationship. Yeah. Aza has this best friend, Daisy, right. who, um, she quarrels with and makes up with a couple of times in the novel and who seems kind of better, suited to the real world than Aza is. But at the same time, Daisy is spending all of her time writing fan fiction, Star Wars fan fiction. <laughs> Star Wars with, slash fiction. Right, with like with Ray and Chewbacca. Well, and okay, though, slash is like it's super It's clear that it's erotica. a little bit dirty, at yeah. least. It's, a, it's, it's romantic, sexy fan fiction. I, I feel like there's a delineation. I don't know what it is because this is not my community, but I feel like this, <laughs> the slash community is like super sexy. And there's like the fan fiction that like deals in romance, but okay, I don't. I okay, don't, okay. I, I'm she's the shipping them. Yeah, she, ooh, ooh yes. there it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's shipping <laughs> That's them. That's what it is. Um, but uh, yes, if we are using slightly the wrong fan fiction terminology, <laughs> just forgive us because some of us are old. <laughs> um, all right. So, but I, I'm a, you know, I, I think fan fiction is an amazing thing that the internet has brought um mm, about and it's created these amazing communities of people who are sharing creativity and stories and telling and retelling stories and claiming stories and that is what daisy is a part of so she's um she's spending a lot of time in this imaginary world so the way that she uh kind of separates herself from reality is just very different from the way that Aza does but they mm-hmm. both do it Right, oh, Aza yeah. does it with her band aid and her thought spirals, right, and and her obsession with that illness that she's worried that she'll contract, and Daisy does it with fan fiction. Um, and for Daisy, it's a, a healthy outlet, but it still is a retreat from, you know, the everyday pressures of life. Yes, and so um, I really like the relationship. I thought it. I mean, I think he renders it, um, you know, very honestly and truthfully, and and you know, I generally like it. Um, not when authors, you know, co-opt other people's cultures and write about 
stuff they know nothing about. But when authors are willing to like, you know, empathize beyond their own, you know, any individual's experience is, is limited, right? And I think, you know, fiction, one of the great things that fiction writing does is it forces you, you have to have characters who are different from you, you have to because you can only, you know, you have to populate the world that you're writing. Mm. And so you have to find points of empathy and points of connection with all kinds of of people and figuring out how to do that responsibly and beautifully and truthfully, you know, is an ever changing thing. And it's changing a lot right now Hmm. um, in all the conversations that we're having about um, own voices and, and celebrating and bringing forward voices of, of um, previously marginalized um, people and, Hmm. and all of that should happen and is happening and needs to happen even more um but green is willing to engage um beyond his own experience and also to represent his experience truthfully and i think it's 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 um beautifully done one thing that john green does and it's so exciting and fun is he's so good at will wish fulfillment um in in novels and I mean in Fault in Our Stars, it's literally like the plot engine is is uh, she gets her wish to go to Amsterdam and that's how that novel plays out. But this one, I mean, there's a little bit of just wish fulfillment of like, wouldn't it be cool if you knew a billionaire, uh, even even like once removed? Like, wouldn't it be neat to see what that life is like? Um, and I think that that's one of the real joys of of Turtles All the Way Down. Too. Yeah, that like here, touch this book. And the door opens up and it's the movie theater. Yes. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And just like modern art on the walls that you, if you have Google open for that, for some reason I look up art all the time and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that the <laughs> lizard. Lizard, lizard probably exists. Let me, <laughs> <laughs> let me see what art he's talking about. I don't know what that is. Um, but yeah, I think that that's one of the big, big joys of the book. From a craft perspective, um, if you're going to write a book where the character's mental space is painful, you need to create a world that other people want to be in, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, not always, but if, you know, from a maybe commercial fiction writing standpoint, um, and I try to push myself to think in those terms fairly often because otherwise I might just ramble on about my own <laughs> inner life and nobody <laughs> would want to read anything because I would never write a plot. Um, one thing I learned early on is to create a world that people would like to enter when they open the book. And so if your character is in a, you know, pretty much a nonstop toxic thought spiral, well, it's going to be a rough read. Right. Unless you give them like a beautiful billionaire's mansion with some beautiful swimming pools and movie theaters and art collections and some, you know, romance and banter and a great friend who's really creative and interesting. And so that, you know, I think the romantic interest, um, Davis being so wealthy. Um, in such a fun way also Mm -hmm. is um, is part of what green is doing to make us you know okay being in aza's head right right you know 
so that we we want to return and that we will read the whole story and we will see how she comes out at the end of the story and we will, you know, um, go on the whole journey. Well, why don't we um, why don't we recommend things? Drew, do you want to start? As I was reading Genuine Fraud, I found myself thinking about Becky Sharp Mm. in uh, Thackeray's Vanity Fair, which my old boss, Jeremy McCarter, gave me for Christmas one year. And he was like, have you ever read this? I said, actually, no. He's like, boy, you're going to have a ball. And I called you boy. Yeah. No, he was like more of a like a, oh, oh boy. That's like gee whiz. Yeah. Um, And I I did. I just loved that book. And it was such a joy to get to think back on it um, and to think about the ways that like, as it was referenced in Genuine Fraud, I was like, oh, uh-huh, I see that. I see how like, yeah, Jewel and Becky are kind of like, they would, they wouldn't maybe get along, but they would respect each other, I think from maybe like a safe distance. Mm-hmm. Right. They're orphan women yeah. who are looking to change their social class Definitely. Yeah. and will stop at very little to but make like, that happen. That Thackeray but it's it looks like a doorstop, but for the most part, it zips. Nice. Yeah, it's a really good book. I yeah. love that book. I've read it more than once. Christopher? Uh I'll I'll recommend a big book as big older book as well. Um but although what I'm gonna recommend is actually just so uh my girlfriend and I switched books. She's never read the Harry Potter series, and I've never read Anna Karenina by uh Tolstoy. Oh my gosh. And so we did that we did this uh switch and it's fantastic um because a lot of people think i got the short end of the stick with this <laughs> list um with these trades but um the cool thing is that you're just talking to someone about a book that you love and you get to like react in real time and get their reactions in real time of things that happened because they don't have to worry about did i spoil something or anything like they don't um care because they read it already uh, and so it's just it's just a fantastic way to experience a book. So I recommend you know finding a partner and reading each other's like favorite book or something. Um, a- Anna Karenina is also similarly looks like a doorstop, but very zippy. It's basically the Russian OC. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of like he shouldn't have danced with that uh, girl. He, the mazurkas for this person and. <laughs> uh there's a there's a lot of that um there's actually a quote like of like kitty thinking that it would all be decided by the end of the mazurka and she's like i just don't think it will be (laughs) (laughs) um there's 600 pages left here um but yeah i i highly recommend how great this is and i also downloaded the um the the audiobook with which uh, maggie gyllenhaal reads Mm. to you and uh she is like the perfect voice for this she's a great great reader of this book so i recommend that particular experience as well cool i've been reading um the the spy who came in from the cold which my spouse also just finished reading and so and i've been listening to it on audio and i can't remember the name of the reader but he he talks like this you know lemish was (laughs) drinking a lot 
<laughs> and uh, it's fantastic. I yeah. love it so much. Um, but I've had that experience of, of you know, reading something back to back with the person you live with. And then, you know, like, oh, I've got to this bit, you know, and it's um, it's really energizing. And we don't do that that often. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's so fun. Um, do you want to recommend a book? Yes, I do. Um, I think Le Carre does not need my advocacy or <laughs> anything. Uh, so I want to recommend um, Boy Snowbird. Oh. by Helen Oyayemi. Yes. Which I um I really loved and I've been thinking a lot about it since I read it. It's been staying with me. And I think one of the reasons is that she um uses this this fairy tale architecture. It's the story of um a young woman who comes from a very abusive um two-person family and she escapes her uh, father and runs away to this little New England town and she sets up a new life there and eventually gets married to this uh, older man who has a daughter already and the daughter's name is Snow and um, there is an enormous plot twist um, and she finds herself in the position of basically becoming the wicked stepmother of the Snow White story and um then there's another enormous plot twist or two <laughs> and so it's um very very rich and very um the world building is incredible and um very deep and thoughtful and it also has this really really propulsive plot yeah um but i started out reading it because of the snow white element because mm -hmm. my previous novel we were liars had used um, some uh, fairy tale tropes um, mm -hmm. and elements to tell a contemporary story. And so I wanted to see what she did. And then um, as I was reading it, it became this anti-hero narrative. And so I connected it to it on the level of the person that I had been in writing Genuine Fraud as well. And so for me, it was like seeing somebody engage with themes that I've been really intimately connected with, but to see someone whose who's skill set and um, um, craft are, you know, just awe-inspiring. Mm. So it was, you know, made me want to up my game. She's one of my favorite authors. Yeah, me too. It's just like the way that she upends every one of your expectations. Yeah, she's really smart. Yeah, I want to co-sign Boy Snowbird is just a fantastic novel. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. Thanks so much. <laughs> no, just a lot of fun stuff going on in the background here. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, um, Emily. This has been great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and thank also, you for the cocktail. Oh, of course. Uh, thank you for the candy, for the books. Yeah, for all the yeah. books. Yeah. And That's all wonderful. those lovely folks at home, if you want to uh, give us an early Christmas present, Please review us on iTunes. We really appreciate when you guys do that. Um, as well as if you want to sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash SMDB. Um, we do some fun stuff there. And uh, our folks that are at the $10 level, you'll be receiving your awesome bookish mailing uh, pretty soon here. Um, in fact, go check your mailbox right now. Do it right now. Um, because stuff is in the mail for you. What are you mailing them? 
Secret stuff? It's a secret. It's a secret. Thank you again, Emily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, and uh, we will see you all soon. Do you have a button, Drew? No. Nothing? What if we just didn't have a button? I, I say this as a 20-something who discovered that blog and have watched it for years. You're 20-something? Mm, still, just by a hair. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll still talk. <laughs> <laughs>